0: So as we look in First John here, we see a lot of things that John has been trying to teach us through this. And, and uh, again, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, the, the little John books. I call them little John books, the epistles of John, because he just challenges us all the time. So he's saying that if there's a, a certain thing that's happened, we can expect a, a certain result. Sort of like uh, for some of you that maybe were in geometry, you know what those uh, axioms were that based on certain things, we can expect certain results. And, and John is saying this about our Christian life, that based on things that we profess or claim or that have happened to us, that we as Christians should be changed. And the unfortunate thing in the world today is that there's a lot of doors that are open calling themselves churches that really aren't preaching the word anymore. It's become sort of a social gospel. They're not focused so much on truth, more so of an inclusion. And not so much on the, the word of God, but sometimes the political agendas and different things that go on. And, and John wants us to know this, that God's word is truth, and we stand on his truth, and we work in his truth, and we are moved based on his truth, and this truth is only found in a relationship, a personal relationship with the Son, Jesus Christ. And so John is telling us that he wants us to know that there are things that we can be certain about. So certain means that we know these Things to be true so we can stand firmly we can believe in those things and he began this epistle saying this that he had a firsthand eyewitness and testimony of Jesus he said you know that which we have seen which we have heard which we have touched he was saying you know this Jesus that was here was not just a a floating hologram he wasn't just a spirit as the Gnostics were trying to say this was truly God that had came down in man in the form of his one and only begotten son Jesus Christ and then in chapter 2 he goes on to say, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So he says, here's, a, here's another self-evident truth, that if we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ we are going to follow what God wants us to do. That's our desire. That's our, our, our impulse. That's our sort of motor that keeps us running. Now beyond all this we know that we fall short and many times we, we find ourselves uh, not doing always what God has us, but this is what John is telling us. He says, he says, this is how we come to know him if we keep his commandments. Uh, chapter 3, I guess it was chapter 2 yet, he still talks to the fathers. He says, uh, you know him who has been from the beginning. That know is a personal uh, type of knowledge. It's not just a, an intellectual knowledge. It's a personal knowledge. And he talks to the children because it says, you know the father. And again, that's that personal relationship that goes on. And then he says in 314, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. And we spent a couple weeks in that. And he says, one of the evidences of a true Christian is that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And even when we have hurt one another, either when we're disappointed in things, even when they go astray, love is there. And so Jesus had told us right in the two best commandments is to love the Lord your God with everything that you got. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so we see that love is the crux of all these things that go on. And so as I've gone through 1 John, and I've preached through this many times because I just love it and I like teaching through it. It's just a book that means a lot to me. Uh, There's 36 instances of the word know through 1 John. So we know, right, that John wants us to know something. He wants us to be certain of some of these things. And in these last three, uh, four scriptures that we're reading today, The first three start out again with three things he wants us to know, to know, to know. So verse 18, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Verse 19, we know that we are of God, and that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God came and has given us And understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. And his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. And he closes out the book with little children keep yourselves from idols. Amen he says. And so he's talking about these things we can know. And then he sort of throws this little curve at the end about idols. We'll talk about those in a minute. But idolatry is really making a God, fashioning it after uh, the God you want him to be, or her to be, or whatever it is. There's a lot of uh, religions out there that have formed their own gods. But it's really denying the one true God that's in the Bible, that of Jesus Christ. And so John says this, we can know three things. We know that no one born of God sins, he starts out. right, Verse 18, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. So when we look at this, both this and in chapter 3, and uh, our text today, they talk about the sin. And John is saying that the new birth has an obvious result in our life. So he's not really saying here that, that we do not sin. He's talking about a pattern in our life, a, life, a lifestyle, should I say, uh, of our life. And so we know that we have sin in our life. We have the, the flesh nature that's still in us. We have that battle that's going on. But John is very clear about this, and he wants us to understand this, that as an obvious result of salvation, we are going to have a changed life. The Bible would call that a righteous life. And so we we get hung up sometimes on righteous, because we talk about people being self-righteous or this righteous. Righteous simply means doing what is right. And so as a born-again believer, our desires have changed, our, our new nature is that we want to do what is right. We want to do what is is good according to God's word. We want to follow him in what he has for us. And why believers do fall into sin, and and we all do that. John addressed that earlier in this epistle, that if we say we're without sin, we're also liars. We know that true believers do fall into sin. We cannot live in it indefinitely. So there's people that come to Christ, and, and... They got struggles that are going on in their life. Now, for some people, it's amazing. Testimonies are wonderful things. Some people come to Christ and it's just like, man, they can shed everything off and it's just like wonderful. It's like, wow, what happened? And and those things just go away. It can be addictions, it can be lifestyle uh, habits, it can be all these things. For a a majority of other people, though, we come to Christ and it's a, a sort of a proving ground of faith. Our faith is just growing. And we're learning to trust in God more. And so for some people, it takes a little bit of time. That doesn't justify, by any means, staying in a sinful thing. But what this is really saying is that when we're born again, the Holy Spirit is given to us. We have that in us. And as that Spirit is in us, it's prompting us, and it's moving us, and it's changing us, and and this new nature is is becoming alive, and it's taking over this old nature. And, And we find that we cannot live in that sin indefinitely anymore. You know, there's people that live in this world, some who call themselves Christians, and, and you look at their life, and they're just in a sinful uh, situation, sinful pattern. Their life is just full of sin, and you see all this, and it was like, you know, what do you think? And, and it doesn't even seem to bother them. John is telling those people, maybe you need to really make sure that you're saved. Maybe you need to know that, that Jesus is really your Savior, because there are many that profess with their lips salvation or profess that they are christians christians may be in name only but are we in our actions have we the holy spirit in our life that guides us and moves us in the in the ways of god and so one of the things you know people will tell me well tell me about your your salvation experience and the only thing i really remember i mean i remember saying the prayer but the only thing that that really changed in my life you know I, i still had some bad habits uh getting into my Christian walk but one thing that I just remember is that all of a sudden things that never offended me began to offend me and I would hear something I could hear I still sort of have a keenness for this but if I'm in the mall and somebody uses the Lord's name in vain it's just like a lightning bolt that comes and I hear that and it just offends me when I've said something if I laugh at something maybe that I shouldn't or I've said something maybe in a a non-loving way or judgmental way or even cynical way sometimes all of a sudden the, the spirit sort of says hey you know like watch your tongue so that's my salvation experience when I had it. it was just that that changed I knew that there was something different because the things that never used to bother me bothered me the shows that I used to watch on tv they're just like watching the world I mean if you look out your window and watch the world it was sort of like that but as I was watching those things all of a sudden Uh, the innuendos and the the references and different things, it was just like, you shouldn't be listening to this. You shouldn't be really paying attention. These things are contrary to God's word. And so the nature changes. Our nature has changed when we accept Christ as our Savior. And when our nature changes, our behavior should fall in line with that. That's sort of what an axiom is. Because Christ has done something different in our life, our behavior should follow. So we get convicted of things. So now we got choices to make. And those choices are to follow God or not follow God. And, you know, I, I think sometimes uh, like a pig. I've never raised a pig. I don't want to raise a pig. But I've seen pigs. And, and pigs like mud, right? If they find a mud hole, they're sort of happy in it, right? They'll crawl in it. They'll roll around in it. And they can just wallow in that, that mud hole all day. But if a sheep falls in the mud hole, that sheep wants to get out as quick as possible, sort of wants to get cleaned up. And sheep have a canny uh, ability to remember where these pitfalls are, and they want to avoid them. Well, so it is with the child of God. So, so really, before we knew Christ, we could liken ourselves to pigs, right? We sort of wallowed in the world. The, the Satan had a sway on us. We're doing things that we shouldn't be. And it really didn't bother us. We were just enjoying life as it was going on. But Jesus refers to us as sheep. And he says, sheep have a different character than pigs, Right? And so when we have this different character, now we want to live a different way. We want to follow God in a new way. We, we, we want the changes, and sometimes it's hard because we have these past friends and these these things that we thought were so important in our life, and sometimes to let go of those because maybe they've been our security our whole life. And so we learn to trust in God. And that's the importance of fellowship. That's the importance of, of church fellowship, having Christian friends. It's the importance of having accountability with one another. But we have a different nature. And so John is telling us this, that, that if you're truly born again, you have a different nature. Something has changed in you and your life needs to reflect that. Your life should want to reflect that. This shouldn't be just something that, that I generate up. okay? Because before I became a Christian, I tried to be a Christian. I tried to be a Christian without Christ. Do You ever try that? Well, I did. I just thought, well, you know, being a Christian is this. I know about God, and so now I just want to live like God says to live. But I was so frustrated with that because I was doing it all in my own power. But once I submitted my life to Christ, gave my life to Christ, he came in, and all of a sudden, and that's why, you know, Philippians is one of my favorite verses. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I believe that it is Christ in me that... Gives me the ability to make changes. And when I come up against things and I say, Lord, you know, I just don't know. I don't know if I can do this, if I can handle another day of this or whatever it is that I'm facing. I just keep going back to one of my staple verses. I have a few in my life, but that's one of them. I can do it because Christ is in me. And so he says we have this new nature. And so while the New Testament does talk in many places about a believer keeping himself uh, from sin or out of sin's way... We do have a responsibility in our life to make those choices, but the power is in Christ in us. <clears throat> Again, because if we're trying to make those changes in our life of our own power, we're going to get tired. We're going to get wore out. And it's it's going to be exhausting. We're going to be frustrated. And those just things just never turn out good. You know, it affects our relationships and all these things. So John really says it is it is Jesus that keeps us out of Satan's clutches. Okay? So it doesn't mean that we're not going to be Uh, tempted. You know, um, John says the evil one does not touch him. He's not saying that we are completely isolated from temptations or from uh, sins in this world or Satan's attacks on our life. He's not saying that at all. What he's saying is that, as Luke would say, that uh, Satan can still sift us like wheat. But God knows us. Paul says in Corinthians, he says, you know, no temptation has overtaken us, but that which is common to man. And when we are tempted, he provides us a way out. See, our power and our strength is in him. So Paul is telling us, even in Corinthians, that we're going to be tempted. We're going to have trials in our life. We're going to have struggles. But where we turn for the answers is so important. God always gives us a way out. So sometimes trials come into our life to make us stronger, to give us wisdom, to give us knowledge. And so we do our part by turning to him and keeping our eyes on him. So if we are sifted, if we are like Job, and I don't think any of us has gone through something as severe as what Job ever went through, but God is with us through those things. And even when he had his friends come along and say, just curse God and die, he says, hey, if he even takes my life, still will I worship him. And so he tells us where our attention needs to be. And so John is very clear on this. So he's really telling us that Satan cannot hold us in sin, he cannot. You know, sometimes the the old uh, TV show I think it was Nipsey Russell something. Oh, the devil made me do it. You know would always do that little dance. The devil made me do it. We can't blame the devil anymore. If you're a born again believer, we need to look at our reactions because God has given us all the strength in the world to do what we need to do. And so He says, Satan cannot keep you captive. Uh, in sin, we always have a way out because that's a promise of God. John says, be certain of that. Secondly, he says that we know if we are of, of God, it's in contrast to the world. So in verse 19, he goes on to say this, we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So sometimes it's interesting when we have conversations about things going on in the world, and we listen to the news, and, oh, I can't believe all this has happened. I can't believe this. Can you believe how bad things are getting it is. But should we be surprised? What does the scriptures tell us here? It says the whole world lies under the sway of Satan, of under the wicked one. The world system is an evil system. But he started it out this way. We know that we are of God. And so there is a difference. There is a difference. And that's why it says that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are to be light and darkness, but we're not to be part of the darkness that is around us. And so it's really a restatement of um, 1 John 2.15 that says, Do not love the world nor the things of the world. Because it says, If anyone loves the world, it says the love of the Father is not in him. And in society today, and I I say this quite often, we, we have a society that loves things and uses people. And God has called us to love people and use things. And so we stand in contrast to those things. We're not under the sway of the world. There's people that sell their soul to to, to have certain things or to attain certain riches or to elevate in certain positions of power. God says we are to be light into this darkness. And so he tells us that we're not to love the world, but he has given us this world. We can enjoy the world. I'm a nature guy. I love you know, I was out in the woods yesterday. I can stand there and I can stand in amazement of what God has created. I can stand this far from a tree for, for an hour and just look at the bark and just be amazed. That's how simple I am. And it's just like, <laughs> this is just fascinating, you know? I can watch the, the, the currents in, the, in our river as it drives, as it floats by, and how they just continually change. And I can be just, God is great. I mean, he, He's given us. Things around us to enjoy. But we're not just to be obsessed with them in, in that way of love. We love the creator, you know, the one who created these things. He's given us these things to enjoy. So we enjoy those things. I mean, it's, it, it's interesting. I, I think you guys have raised things. We raise a garden too, you know, to watch that little seed, you know. You plant that and all of a sudden you got this plant and it's giving you all sorts of things. It's like, man, that is just amazing. My mind doesn't wrap around it. But it's a wonderful thing. So God has given us all these things to enjoy. And through the letter, really, John has has drawn a sharp line in the sand. And I think this is where churches fall short today. You know, we we don't draw these lines about believers in the world, how God would have us to live and how Satan would have us to live. And and we blend those. We try to sometimes, I think, um, get as close to the fence without going over. It seems to be our nature, you know. I mean, we're in farm country, so you can drive around and you probably see Dale's cows sticking their head through the fence to the neighbors trying to eat the grass. Like, there's a difference in the grass. The grass is the grass. But that's our nature. We want to get so close to the fence. John says, you know, really in our nature, we should be wanting to stay away from those things, to keep ourselves away from those things. And so he says, either you are of God or you're of the world. And that's, that's the strong line. He says you can't be both. You know, water and oil do not mix. You know, if you have clean water and you pour salt into it, you don't have clean water with salt in it. You have salt water. And so he tells us that the line needs to be drawn. We need to stand for what we believe. We need to speak the truth in love. And we need to follow him. And we need to be committed to that in our life because he's given us that character, that nature, that power in our life. And so John describes the world as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so we know what that is. We can have desires of our, of our flesh. You know, It could be anything from gluttony to, to other physical desires. The lust of the eyes, we covet what our neighbor has. We always want something else. There's something here that's appealing to us. We saw that in the, the Garden of Eden. But I think the thing that fights the church the most is the pride of life. The sin of pride is what I think we really wrestle with as Christians. And so we put on masks and we pretend and we're we're not genuine in our walk and in our life. And so we get frustrated again because we're not letting God have his way with us. And so the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is what we wrestle with. And he says, those are the things of the world. But he says, you are of the Father. And he says, those things are not. You're a child of God, and those things aren't. Now we're attacked by those things, right? We're attacked by those things in our life. We, we get those things, those, those desires, and we see things, And but what do we do with them when we have them? You know? And is all pride wrong. I mean, we had some wonderful children up here. Parents should be proud of what they're doing. But they're not proud of, of that they've accomplished this, but look at what God has done. Amen. Look at what this child has done. Look at the abilities that God has given. You know, I'm amazed at the talent and the abilities that are in a, in a church like this. I, I stand back and I really look and say, man, God is, is doing something great. He's done something great. There, there's some wonderful talents here. And it's interesting because, you know, some people have the gift of prayer, but everybody can pray, right? Some people have the gift to, to evangelize. Not everybody is an evangelist, but everybody can evangelize, right? So we all have a gift to a certain extent. But we can celebrate those things that God has done in our life, and, and we give Him the honor and Him the glory. We don't want that for ourselves. And so the question comes sometimes: Is there a, really a fundamental difference in your priorities and your goals in life, in your unsaved neighbors? I I sometimes think about that in my life. Am I pursuing the same things that the world is pursuing? Or does God have something different for me? And, you know, that's always a tough thing because as we sit back and as we pray about things and as we look to things, you know, and and Julie and I in our life, we we really want to be sure that what we're doing, where we're going, the things that we get involved with, that it's God's will in our life. Because we spent a lot of our life wasted. And, and I really, that's part of my ministry is I don't want people to waste their lives life is short it wasn't too long ago, I mean I was, I was 20 years old and just getting married and, and you know, we were just going to start a family and you know, now we've been married going on 40 years and you know, we got kids and, and a ton of grandkids and, and I mean it's just like you know, and when I hit 60 I thought man, I'm getting old and all of a sudden it was just like just yesterday and I thought about that I can remember my golden birthday at 11 years old, and, and it just it was, that was just yesterday. And I can remember when I got married, that was just yesterday. I can remember when my children were born, it seems like just yesterday. My first grandchild, just like yesterday. And here they are, they're growing up. These days go by fast. Redeem the time that God has given us. That's what we need to do. And so we know this, that God has a plan for us. And so, so I want you to think about that. Are your goals and priorities really where they need to be? And we are not each other's judge on this. This is between you and your family and God. I mean, God has, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, God has given us these things to see. Or do you just come to church maybe a little bit more frequent than the average person in the world? Because there are those, again, that fill churches up on days like today. Uh, their desire isn't really to follow God. They're, they're coming to church just out of duty or out of habit or, you know, maybe they think that it's a work that's going to get recognized by God, but they haven't had that personal relationship with Christ. And this is the third thing that John wants us to be sure of. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us an understanding. Okay, so he's come and he's given us an understanding. So John says, I want you to be certain of this. What's this understanding? that we may know him who is true, and that we are in him who is true. So it says God has given the believer an understanding. Sometimes people come and and they may ask a question like, I really don't know if I'm saved or not. The Bible says God will give us that understanding. If we're truly saved, we know it. We really know it. It's not that Satan doesn't cast doubt in our life sometimes because uh, Satan is a great deceiver. But John says, I want you to be certain of this. I want you to know that he has given you an understanding. And and like I said, when I got saved, I mean, something changed. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the world stood back and all of a sudden I changed colors and it was glowing like Moses or something. That wasn't happening. Something had changed inside of me, though. And I knew it. And, yeah, Satan throws those doubts there, but, you know, I believe in the promises of God and we stand on the promises of God and what he has for us. And I want to let you know if you don't know that there's a great difference in knowing about someone and knowing them personally. Okay, So in this room today I know about some of you. You probably know about me. But some of us don't know each other personally. Hopefully that all changes. But the same is with God. The church can be full of people that know about God. They've been raised in the church. They've heard the parables. They know the nursery stories. They, they, they've heard millions of sermons through their life. They know all about God. They can quote scriptures forwards and backwards to you. But do they know? Do you know him? Do you know the author of this? I often say, you know, the the words in the Bible are are words. It's the author that gives meaning to it. You know, sometimes we get a little hung up on, on versions and stuff. But I said in the 70s, they had a Bible called Good News for Modern Man. It was one of the first Bibles that I had. Terrible paraphrase by the way, but I mean but the message gets through. Millions of people gave their life to Christ through that because it wasn't about the words on the page, it was about the author that was speaking through those words to, to your life. And so John says you can know with certainty, you can know him. And so do you know Jesus? That's the most important thing in your life, is to know who Jesus Christ is. And and to know that difference between just having an intellectual knowledge in a personal knowledge. Because when you know him in that intimate way, it's like your best friend. You can sit down and you want to talk with him or her. And you want to let them know the cares of your heart. You know that they'll pray for you or or come help you when you need help. You know, I know whenever I turn to the Lord, he's going to help me. Maybe not in the ways that I think he should, but he's going to help me. He's going to answer my prayer. Because that's a certainty. And so, do you know him personally? And John says, I want you to be certain of that. And then John sort of throws this in at the very end. Little children, keep yourself from idols. And I don't want to be critical, but you can go into about any Catholic or Orthodox church today and and you'll see people that are bowing down and and worshiping idols, is what I call it. And it's still idolatry, even if it is in uh, the likeness of what we would say Jesus. You know, the Bible tells us that uh, Jesus is of spirit, right? God is of spirit, and those that worship him worship him in spirit. There are those that put their trust and their faith in little idols. They carry them on their keychains, they put them in the front of their car, they'll uh, say a prayer to this person or that person, uh, hoping for protection or whatever it is and whatever it is, and John says that's the wrong thing to do. He says, keep yourselves from idols. And And I have in, the, in my... Uh, study Bible, um, just something about idols that I would just, I, I'd just like to share because I just think it's, it's interesting because it talks about it being like a false worship. And so idolatry is the worship of anything other than the one true God. And just a couple verses that I had marked down, Psalms 115 forces, their idols are silver and gold. They're the work of men's hands. See when men make something and then they say bow down and worship that or kiss this or do that, um, that's the work of man's hands in um, Isaiah forty-five twenty, assemble yourselves and come draw near together you who have escaped from the nations they have no knowledge who carry the wood in their carved image and they pray to a God that cannot save you know if you really sit back and think about it I mean it's foolish to think a little medallion is going to give you protection over anything God says that's his place God says that's where he wants to be in our life. Romans 1, 22 and 23, professing to be wise, they became as fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made of the corruptible man in the birds, in the four-footed animals, in the creeping things. That's like paganism. I deal with pagans in the, in the prison system. I mean, they worship, you know, goats and different animals and different things. First uh, Corinthians 12, 2, and you know that you were Gentiles carried away by these dumb idols however you were led see God tells us that we can be led astray so why does it that John says this little children keep yourself from idols I think it's an interesting uh, source of words that he used because again idols are anything that we put where God desires to be the Bible tells me God desires to be first and foremost in my life is he always there I try to keep them there. I try to make sure that my priorities are right. They get off at times, so we always have these recorrections that are going on in our life. But I want you to think maybe of what might be an idol in your life. Could it be your career? Could it be the pursuit of, of money or your possessions? Ex- excessive devotion to leisure activities. Now well, again, it's I think rest and relaxation, leisure. That's a good thing. We need that. Even Jesus got away once in a while. But the excessive. Um, devotion to those things is not healthy. How about watching hours of frivolous TV programs or spending hours on your smartphone playing games, but you say, I don't have time to go to a Bible study. I don't have time for prayer. See, all these things can become idols in our life. And the root of all these things is really the idol of self. It comes down to what is important in my life. What is it that I want to do? What do I want to make time for in my life? And, you know, it's easy. Sometimes as a pastor, you can be up here feeling like you're pointing fingers. I want you to know I wrestle with these very same things, priorities in my life, and time for this, and time for that, and time for God, and where does it all blend in? But we have these things in our life, and so he tells us to keep ourselves from these idols. He says, guard ourselves. We have something very valuable, if you're a born-again believer, you have something very valuable that Satan wants to take. Spurgeon says in his commentary on this that if a man has a box and he doesn't think it of much value, he doesn't spend much time guarding it. But if he thinks that there's a, a great value in what's in that box, he's diligent to make sure that he guards that well. Shouldn't we be doing that with our Lord and God, shouldn't we be doing that with God's word in our life that we guard it so we don't drift back into these things and and find ourselves all of a sudden here? You know, it's like a sailor in the seas. Now every day everything's GPS, but, you know, they used to have to pay attention to the winds, to the tides, at night to the stars, to to get direction where where they needed to go. We got God's word. And I'll tell you, if you drift from God's word, if you're not spending time in it, in prayer, in God's word, even in accountability to others, you can find yourself very easily drifting off course. We need to stay on course. God has called us to stay on course. Make sure that if you claim to be a born-again believer and you know for certainty that you are, make sure that you're paying attention to the things that are important to him and not using him to get what you want, but doing what he would have you to do. He calls us little children for this reason. It really implies that we're vulnerable. He is talking to the church there. He's not talking to little kids. He's talking to the church. He says, little children. That means that we can be sort of vulnerable to these things. Each and every one of us. No one's above that. You know what it says about pride? You know, be careful lest you fall. We need to do that in our life. And so God has given us our church family. He's given us good Christian friends. He's given us the word of God. He's given us prayer. He's given us accountability partners. Use those things. Walk in those things and follow his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for your work in our life. Lord, we thank you for the scripture that says God is spirit. And that those of us who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Father, help us to do that. Help us to keep our eyes fixed upon you. Lord, you are our all in all. And Lord, we know that the scriptures tell us many times that we can profess one thing and do another that is not pleasing in your sight. But Lord, help us to be genuine. We don't want to be like the Pharisees of the Bible. We don't want to be the hypocrites that we so often condemn. We want to be those that focus on you, follow you, and love you. By your power, Lord, may we do that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.